This talk was recorded by Insight Meditation South Bay in Mountain View, California. For more talks and information, visit www.imsb.org. Drugs, sex, rock and roll. Why be a Buddhist, man? It's such a bummer. <laughs> you know? Uh, it's funny. Yeah, yeah, I'm actually, I was pleasantly surprised that people kept filtering in when I got here about 15 after. I was like, oh, the, the you know, the non-alcohol and drug talk is going to be uh, low, low attendance. But you never know, you know? I think it's great that um, that Shyla has been unpacking the precepts while well, Shyla and others, you know, guest teachers, and going through these series. And it's something I do a lot in my own uh, groups and my own teaching is, you know, take one topic and then just really unpack it. Uh, and it's I think it's actually a gift to also unpack it with different points of view. So different teachers, you know. So, yes, I'm here to talk about the fifth precept. And I actually am excited to talk about the fifth precept. I think it's um, uh, simple, actually. It's very simple. I mean, I could just say, yeah, the Buddha said, don't drink and do drugs. Drop the mic. Let's leave, you know. <laughs> because it really is that simple, you know. Uh, from the Buddhist, the Theravadan Buddhist perspective. Uh, from the monastic perspective, Right. But then when we add in these different flavors of uh, lay or, you know, non-monastic, and then the um, American or Western perspective, you know, all, all these different kind of uh, flavors that come in, you know, we have um, a lot more to talk about, really. You know, we could have a lot more to talk about. So, I also happen to be uh, kind of a drug and alcohol specialist. It's something that I've, I've dedicated my life uh, to understanding addiction and uh, in its many forms and not just addiction to alcohol and drugs. So I remember when uh, I first, you know, I meditated before I learned anything about Buddhism, really. I didn't read a book or uh, maybe I read Siddhartha, right? And I thought that was actually the story of the Buddha and come to find out 10 years later that that was just some fiction that was created, <laughs> but had some good themes, you know. But uh, Herman Hess did a good job of introducing the world to these concepts. Mm. But I remember finding out like, oh, okay, like there's these principles, there's these Guiding forces. It's not just about meditation. So I'm going to kind of go over that a little bit because, uh, and then I'll end up and we'll be exploring. And you're actually going to help me explore this fifth precept. Uh, so the I feel and I have felt for a long time. I think we're getting better at it, and this is why I was talking about why I appreciate that Shyla has, uh, you know. W- invited me here and other teachers to kind of break break these uh, precepts down. Because 
for a long time, I think that the uh, our culture has been really like Buddhism is meditation, or this there's this meditation practice, and this is the doorway into understanding freedom from suffering is through meditation. Uh, and I've definitely thought that and meditated and learned to meditate when I was, you know, 16. I learned to meditate and I uh, didn't know anything, like I said, about anything else. And then, um, you know, coming to find out years later that actually uh, there's several other pieces to this puzzle <laughs> of enlightenment or nibbana or the deathless or whatever you want to call it, you know, freedom from suffering. And uh, sila is a huge component. Sila meaning, uh, my favorite translation is ethical integrity. That there, uh, the Buddha, actually I was just reading, um, um, I can't remember his name right now, Buddhism Without Beliefs. Bachelor, Stephen Bachelor, and his the the last book, uh, uh, Confessions of a Buddhist Atheist, which is it's just an excellent book, and um, really kind of calls out some things that I just you know it's just his provocative way. Um, but there was this kind of this commentary about you know really you know uh, the Buddha Siddhartha Gautama he wasn't trying to start a religion you know he wasn't uh, appealing to the masses he was trying to change culture societal this is you know one view this kind of uh, anthropological cultural shift to being more harmonious and uh, some people think of the precepts or the ethical integrity as really a vital step in that so this understanding the kind of uh, ethical integrity or sila uh, was really the groundwork. Uh, And one of the ways I like to think about it is that the precepts, uh, which are not commandments, and we tend to think of them sometimes in in our Judeo-Christian lenses as um, like commandments or don't do's. And they're not don't do's. Like, uh, you know, it's not just don't drink. Uh, And I'll get back to that in in a, or don't do drugs. I'll get back to that in a little bit. But there's this overarching uh, word ahimsa, which means non-harming, right? This ahimsa, non-harming, to do no harm. And that's really the, the, and that means societally, individually, mentally, physically, you know, and then all the ways that breaks down in the uh, precepts. But mostly, I think societally, like one of the ways I think about ethical integrity or these precepts just in general is more along the lines of like, okay, recognizing the first noble truth that they're suffering and the second noble truth is there's a cause to suffering and then the, the precepts are like stop spilling your suffering out onto the rest of the world. So ethical integrity, sila says, actually hold your suffering and stop spewing it on the rest of society, and that way you can actually take a look and really see how is this affecting me. So it's like slowing down that process. And I feel like, um, you know, what 
a lot of what happens unconsciously is that uh, we begin to just kind of spill out, right, in our reactive states. Uh, uh, All the ways in which our suffering or our habits of mind uh, uh, conditioning, you know, kind of play themselves out. So it's just a thought, uh, and, you know, Stephen uh, Batchelor kind of talks about it, so I think I'm in good company when I think about it that way. So this idea of sila or ahimsa um, or ethical integrity uh, is the groundwork to prepare our minds for the ability to then collect or concentrate the mind. And anyone that has, uh, and I I was one of these people, who uh, tried to meditate for a period of time without actually uh, understanding about sila, you you realize, and even if you do understand about uh, ethical integrity and you're trying to live to the precepts, uh, they they just pop up, don't they? Anytime you've gone to meditate for any long period of time, um, there's some work to do before you get to that place where you can calm the mind. This collecting, calming uh, aspect. And so sila, uh, from the Buddhist perspective, um, helps us to soothe the mind, prepare the mind to actually then begin to develop the ability to collect and calm the mind. This what's called samadhi. And so to, but for a long time in this country, I think through the 60s and 70s, and I have a little quote from Tricycle Magazine um, that you know, will kind of illuminate this, that as meditation developed, there was very intrinsic of hallucinogens and you know, let's, uh, let's see how far we can get. Uh, and sometimes it was purely through meditation, but for a lot of people, uh, a lot of my elders, you know, and myself too, uh, it was about an exploration, but it was kind of missing the point. So this is, I feel like this meditation practice has been, uh, uh, it's been really helpful for me to see the ethical integrity and how intrinsic it is. And then, because of course, what's the goal? Panya. Panya, wisdom. Developing wisdom, seeing clearly. Uh, the fifth precept is really about seeing clearly and how uh, we don't see clearly when we're intoxicating the mind. And um, there's a lot of different interpretations about that, you know. I want to. I want to actually just read a little bit, uh, a couple perspectives, and then we're going to have a little discussion. So, Bhikkhu Bodhi, pretty, you know, pretty good authority on uh, the Pali language. <laughs> Bhikkhu Bodhi, in uh, one of his books, going, uh, going for refuge, explains that the fifth precept can be translated from the Pali as prohibited or to prohibit fermented or distilled liquors which are intoxicants or fermented or distilled liquors and other intoxicants. Either way, clearly, this is Biko Bodhi talking, either way, clearly the guiding purpose of the precept is to prevent heedlessness caused uh, by the taking of intoxicating substances. 
So this is this idea of uh, to prevent heedlessness. I'm going to come back to this term, heedless and heedful, because I found something interesting about it. So, from the Theravadan Buddhist perspective, uh, this, there's this kind of hard line. They're kind of the hardliners. Theravadan Buddhist perspective has this... Uh, it's unskillful to uh, intoxicate the mind or uh, that which prevents uh, heedlessness or promotes heedlessness, really. So according to uh, Bhikkhu Bodhi, so violating the precept means to take and it requires an intoxicant, the intention to take an intoxicant, the activity of ingesting an intoxicant, and the actual ingestion of the intoxicant. <laughs> Which I really appreciate because in each of those points, um, as someone who you know may be consciously making the choice to not indulge, there are moments of mindfulness there. There are points in which uh, the final step is the actual ingesting of intoxicants. And if there's mindfulness present, then, then we can shift that. Just like uh, uh, any of the precepts, when there's mindfulness, even, even after the ingestion of, of a substance, even after there, we've noticed some intoxication, and this is, there's some exploration of, there, uh, of that. So one of the uh, kind of caveats is that uh, medication that might have um, alcohol or um, some type of uh, opiate or other particular medications that are prescribed and that are uh, for a genuine, this is the, the words that um, Bhikkhu Bodhi uses, a genuine medical purpose uh, does not count. Right? So there's some allowables uh, even though the monks are always talking about cheese and chocolate, and I don't know how that's a medicine, but you know, I won't get into the fermented other things that are talked about in the suttas as medicine. But, but then let's talk for a moment. Just let me just give the other side, okay? So the Theravadan perspective is that really it's considered unskillful to use any type of intoxicant um, that clouds the mind, that leads to heedlessness. And there's, you know, there's some other reasons as to why. So I'll, I'll, I'll get back to that in a minute. But I want to just give the other school, the other major, there's two major schools, right? Mahayana, Theravada. So the Mahayana, they have a little bit of a different view. This might, if you're considering yourself Theravada, you might switch based on your opinion here. Uh, the Mahayana, there are some differences on the matter of drinking, right? Uh, but the fifth precept often is not treated as an absolute prohibition. Uh, in, instead, uh, drinking liquor is a minor offense, um, but selling of, uh, of alcohol is considered a breach in the precepts. So selling alcohol or drugs, um, because you're not only hurting yourself, but you're hurting others. So that's the idea there. So, and, that it, and so that's a clear kind of violation of the bodhisattva vow of uh, not doing harm to other beings. Which again, back to ahimsa, when we're talking about ahimsa, this kind of uh, ethical integrity of doing no harm to self or others. Um, then, and then if there is no separate self, how is that actually, you know, where's the separation there? I don't, I don't see it. I understand logically the point. So further uh, from the 
the Mahayana perspective, uh, the meaning of intoxicant is also broadened. So it's not just drugs and alcohol specifically. And, you know, I think of chillum, because it's uh, a term in uh, India to basically mean hashish. And that was uh, big in the time of the Buddha, as well as alcohol. So alcohol and chillum. So there's some stepping out of um, just alcohol and other fermented substances. So the uh, the understanding of the word intoxicant uh, is broadened to include anything that distracts us from the path, not just alcohol and drugs. So I really like that, actually, that idea of... Um, I think it's really a little bit more relevant to what we're talking about here uh, in our century, you know, and here in in the states or in the Western world, is that there's so many intoxicating things that we can get so deluded by and uh, knocked kind of off track if we let ourselves. And so this kind of uh, heedful or heedless. Um, can be broadened to uh, what are we heedful of? And I think it's important to just understand, as with all the precepts, it's really you know important to look at them and break them down a little bit and uh, uh, just ask ourselves, this is inquiry practice, right? That uh, the Buddha at no point, there's this, I, I love this, um, this phrase. So the Buddha was talking to, I'm paraphrasing, but the Buddha was talking to a group of lay people and they were talking about the, the, these precepts. And you know, uh, the Buddha basically pointed to that this is not a commandment, that this is, this is actually a, a suggestion. Right? If you want to relieve suffering or uh, alleviate suffering in your life, follow these five precepts. Uh, but adipasiko, uh, see for yourself, right? So see for yourself what the result of not following these precepts is like. How does that play out in your mind? How does that play out in your life? And does it lead to peace and ease? You know, the the uh, following of the precepts, um, all of the precepts from the monastic code or the lay precepts, are uh, aimed at allowing the practitioner to be blameless and at ease, therefore preparing the mind for meditation. So I just like to kind of hold that larger perspective uh, when we're thinking about all of the precepts and not just this one. Okay, so here's the time where you guys are going to talk to each other. So I have two questions. Um, so what I'd like for you to do, just for a few, just for a few moments, just turn to someone next to you, and you're just going to give an opinion uh, or you know whatever your thoughts are based on this first um, question. And the first question is: How important do you think it is for Buddhists to avoid all alcohol? So just amongst yourselves, we're not going to take a toll, and you're just going to just just find someone to talk to and just. Each, please take a, a moment or two and answer the question. Okay, how important do you think it is for Buddhists to avoid all alcohol? Go ahead, I'll ring a bell in a minute. Please, uh, just, just share a few thoughts.
So just, just come to stillness, allowing the eyes to close, just reflecting on how was that for you? Was that easeful? Was there some tension? Just checking in. And then when you're ready, just allowing the eyes to open. Here's the next question. Do you think that mind-altering drugs should also be avoided under the fifth precept, all mind-altering substances? So turning to, so different than alcohol, right? So, including no, no, I mean, it's, uh, it, we're not including, I, I mean, I, I, the, if it's medicinal marijuana or medicinal, medicinal opiate use or medicinal, you know, yeah, yeah. What, not psychotropic medications, but like antidepressants, things like that. We're really talking about mind-altering substances, including, yeah. Yeah, so I'm not talking about antidepressants or um, drugs that uh, are good for your heart, you know, these kinds of things, right? I'm just saying mind-altering substances. At least that's the question. Do you think that mind-altering drugs should also be avoided under the fifth precept? So just take a few moments and share amongst yourselves. I'll ring a bell. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.